Aldazan with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Free Tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Why don't you give us a call? Our number is 291-6901. And if you use the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225, you can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. We sure wish you would. We always enjoy hearing from folks. It kind of makes the show a little more interesting, I find. Get you a nice live answer today. There you go. <laughs> As opposed to a dead answer. There you go. <laughs> No answer at all when we're on tape. Oh, there you go. <laughs> we get a lot of email we do. from all around the country, all around the world, really. And some of them are just technical questions. Sure. My car is doing blah, blah, blah. What do you think? Or I changed this and this and it didn't See. fix the problem. Where should I go from here? Or things like that. Uh-huh. Those are pretty common. And then, too, we get some, like this particular email. It came from a listener named Jeff. Uh, Jeff didn't see where he lives. Uh, Illinois. Oh, does it? Okay, yeah. I missed that. Jeff from Illinois, and he had a three-part question, Okay, which I thought was pretty good. We kind of go into it a little bit today. Sounds and great. The first part of his question is that if you had a chance, and he's addressing us to you and I, uh-huh. to go back to working on the old muscle cars, you know, pre-1972, before the emissions and right, all that right. uh, became an issue, would you do it? And number two, what is your favorite car of all times? And then number three, just a, a little bit more about that. Yeah, I see here, he did say a lot. Yes, I mean. But I thought we could talk just a little bit about that this sure. morning. And of course, you and I both know we were old gearheads anyway. Yeah, so. and we were probably going to have a little bit different perspectives. I started out as a technician working in the field, and mm-hmm. I, I felt one way. And then when I became a shop owner, I probably felt a little different way about some things. So we may have a little different sure. perspective on it. But I can say, and again... Just to go first, I guess, I would not go back to working on the old cars myself. Uh And that's just me. You may feel totally different about it. Just because I guess I got it out of my system. (laughs) You know, I started working on cars, I guess, around 1967. Right. And in 1967, we were probably working on 10-year-old cars. So we were working on 57 to mid-60s cars. And I worked on those a lot. Yeah. (laughs) And pretty much got it out of my system. So I find the cars today are probably way, way, way more complex, but easier for easier from a shop's standpoint. Sure. If you've got the equipment to do it, I find they're easier to do. Well, and not just the equipment, but you've got to have the knowledge to work on today's cars. That's true. the cars of today, you work one way with these cars, and that does not work on the older cars. That's correct. The the older cars, to me, were more of an art than a science. Sure. You had certain philosophies in mind. You knew how a carburetor worked. You knew how a gearbox worked. You knew how things worked. And since every one of them was very nearly the same. And they were mechanical. They were all mechanical. But a Ford, a Chevrolet, or a Chrysler, which is largely what you're working on, they were all pretty much done the same way. Well, and at one point, you could call the auto parts store and say, hey, I need a set of brake shoes. For a Ford. Yeah, for a Ford or for Chevrolet. And he would he would go to the back and pull a, a set of brake shoes because there was only one. It fit, right. it fit all the Fords and even fit some of the Chevrolets. Yep. So, you know, parts wasn't a big deal back then yeah. either. Everything was, was a considerably Simple. simpler from that perspective. Where I find it was maybe more difficult is that, let's say you had a misfire, you really didn't have a lot of anything to go with. Mm-hmm. I mean, you really didn't have fuel pressure then. You could pull 
the side plug out of the side of a carburetor bowl if it had one and see if there was gas in the bowl. But right. fuel pressure was really not an issue too much because you didn't have injection. The spark, you know, you could pull a plug wire off. Yeah, it's got a spark. And you can kind of look at it and say, well, yeah, it looks pretty hot. But nowadays, of course, you can go in, get a code which tells you, yes, you do have a misfire. It confirms it. And then you can sort of get a direction of where you're looking to find this. And then there's more, much more testing equipment available to narrow it down. Back in those days, it wasn't really practical to have a half million dollars worth of service equipment because the cars were pretty simple. You could figure it out other ways, and the flat rates in the shops and all just didn't support that kind of mm-hmm. an investment. And most of the people that owned cars knew how to fix them. A lot of them A did. lot of people knew how to fix their own maybe cars. Maybe they wanted to. Maybe they didn't want right. to. But yeah. and, then, and then, too, with a carburetor, you had carburetor was a finesse kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You either had to know how it worked or how to make it work. And that knowledge kind of stayed with a few guys around. Mm-hmm. But as the cars got older, and you, like you were saying, you got into electronic carburetors, and then it turned into fuel injection. Mm-hmm. Well, now, those guys that used to rebuild carburetors and katoon carburetors, and you know they were all, They're all getting 40, older. 50 years old at yeah. the time. They're gone now. Yeah. So that kind of knowledge is, is gone unless kind you can go find with somebody. Mm-hmm. But there again, you can go buy a carburetor, put it on, it will run, but will it run correctly? Yeah, most of the time you can't even find one that will run right. That's the problem. Back then, things were so inexpensive by today's standards. You Let's say you got a car in and it wasn't running properly. First thing you'd do, you'd say, well, how many miles has been tuned up? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's been about eight, nine, ten thousand. 10,000. Okay, well, we're going to put points and plugs and a condenser wires. and maybe a set of wires on it. Okay, well, that didn't fix it. Well, let's go ahead and rebuild a carburetor. Right, and, and that's that's a term you hardly ever hear anymore, rebuild yeah, a carburetor. Yeah, somewhere in that you fixed it, and the guy probably walked out with a $35 repair bill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So he was okay with that. And even though it wasn't really the scientific way that it should have been done, it worked okay back right. then. But nowadays, if you go in and say, well, let's change this, let's change, every one of those, well, maybe it's this, it's $300. Sure. And there's a lot of maybes. <laughs> well, and today's driver is is not the same driver that was in 55 that's true or 60 when we were running carburetors you'd crank the vehicle up you'd have to let it warm up under the carport well, or in the driveway expected the car you had your little procedure sure you pump the gas two times then you let off and then you hit the key and then you, if it cranked up and it ran great yeah, if, if it, it didn't, didn't then you don't, go hit, through don't it. hit the gas right. again put the pedal to the floor you had your little procedure sure. you knew how to do it and it would die three times backing out the driveway you, it was it was you a normal thing fully well accepted that and right. you just said okay yeah that's just the way the car runs but, or maybe i'll have one foot on the gas and one on the brake sure. at the same time but today's standard yeah. A car stumbles one time, it's in the shop. Oh, yeah, they, they are, they're they, frantic. Oh, my yeah. God, my car, my car. It stumbled one time. Missed or, or whatever. Right. So, yeah, I think the standards have, have changed quite a bit. And I guess we were kind of straying away from the question. But from my perspective, I would not really want to go back to working on no cars. We do still work on some of them. We do. We have to limit it because they do take so long and parts are a real problem. So well, we, and we there's only have one or two in the shop at a time. And there's only a couple of people in the shop that can leave work on those kind of cars right. anymore that still have the experience from the older ones mm-hmm. myself being included right so it has to go through a certain couple of people and then they have to have time to be able to do this in between the rest of the vehicles we're trying to fix well, in the that, shop. and it ties up the shop so long because you have to go in and diagnose a the problem then you have to start the long arduous search of finding decent quality replacement parts. that is another problem so the car is sitting there all that time and then you have to put them on, and and then you discover something else because it is an older car, and old well, things happen, and it ties it up longer. It ties up a bay in the shop, 
And when we're not working on it, we have to move it out. Right. So it takes two people to move it out if it's not running, mm-hmm. two people to move it back in at night. So, therefore, you have that much more time that is spent that you're not being able to charge for. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that that's part of the, the problem with working on the older cars mm-hmm. in a shop environment. Yeah, nothing to do with the car itself. It's just kind of inefficient in today's environment. Now, at home, to pose the question to you, yeah. would you like to go back to working on those cars? And I get enough of that at home. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you, and I actually get enough at the shop, so... No, I don't. I don't think. I don't think I'd want to go back to strictly working on those kind of cars. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the second part of the question: What was your favorite car? At, I don't know, man. I, I had favorites. Yeah, I had more than one. Okay. You know? And today, I even have more than I had back then. Okay. But you know, I grew up in the era of the the Mustangs and the Camaros, the '60s, late '60s Mustangs and Camaros. I mean, if I had to go grab to get one, mm-hmm. it would probably be a Yanko Camaro. Okay. That would probably be my the '68. Yinko. And see, to me, I guess my perspective is different because I started working on cars when those cars were new. Uh-huh. And, in fact, yeah, I worked new in cars. dealerships, and they really wasn't that much fun to work on. Exactly. I would go back to, like, a 55 Chevrolet, yep. which is a car that went, it was really cool when I was growing up. And that was one of my other favorites. But. And, you know, if you look back a couple of generations, for instance, the guys who are a little older than me, they wanted probably a 50 Ford or a 50 Mercury. Sure. Because that was the cool car to them. You go back another group and to them a 32 4 3 window coupe would have been the cool car mm-hmm. well if you ask the average guy nowadays what's the 32 window three you know deuce coupe, got a coupe. he don't even know what that was no it really the car didn't mean anything to him because right. he never had experienced it he wants maybe a honda prelude or right. something that was a cool car to him so it changes as the generations change right you know i'm early baby boomers and you know, if you go to like your war babies they had a car and to them, I think the 32 Fords, the 34 Fords, all those were the cool oh, those, cars. Those were beautiful cars. And, man, that was the hot rod that they wanted and all that. My group came along. It would have been the 55 to 57 Chevrolets. Sure. The rich guys had a 55 T-Bird. <laughs> <laughs> those poor guys had to have a Chevrolet. There you go. But then, like I said, the the, the next group, which, like right. yourself, you know, the Mustangs and all were cool. But, again, to me, that was just a contemporary car when I started working on cars. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, when a 427 Mustang came in the shop. You hated it. Nobody, nobody wanted, wanted to work, work on that exactly. car. Because you had to take the motor out of the car to change the spark plugs. Right, <laughs> right. It was, it was wedged in there. And, and you it was were working on flat on rate, getting probably six bucks an hour flat rate. So and that was, was not. It was pretty much a hated vehicle yeah, when it rolled that, in. that was not a car you wanted to see. <laughs> uh, but anyway, it's just funny how time and age kind of changes yeah. your perspective on those sorts of things. The last thing, I guess, on it, from a shop's perspective, the old cars were a lot easier to work on. They were a lot cheaper mm-hmm. to work on. I think shops probably made a lot more money back in those days. And that was why, it's witness why they had so many shops. Right. I mean, you had, Baton Rouge probably has one-third as many shops as it did 40 years ago. Sure. Now, fortunately, the newer cars don't break as much, so one-third as many shops can handle the load. They last longer, but when they do break, it's usually a much bigger deal. But the cost of equipping a shop is much, 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 much greater nowadays. Oh, most definitely. Than what it was back when these cars were around. I mean, for the hey, most part, most of the techs had their own tools. They had their right. own equipment. And, you know, one of them may have had a scan, uh, not a scan tool, but a, a, scope. Um, a scope, something like to that. To scope an ignition pattern out with. But right. that was really the biggest part that of the That was kind of the exception, more, right. more so than the rule. One, one guy in the shop had this equipment, and everybody else used it. You know? Right, <laughs> right. 
Hey, we'll take a quick little break. Be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. If you ever plan to motor west. Ah, yes, Mr. Bigfoot. Uh, make yourself comfortable on the couch and tell me about has stressed you out. I'm just a secluded forest dweller, and I like it like that. But every now and then, I get these people hunting me down. There's a TV show, jerky commercials, and now another movie. Then I worry about the hype. If they do find me, will my feet be big enough? Well, Mr. Foot, I can't really do much about these people, but I can tell you how to create some peace of mind in your life. Do like me and take your car into Agco once a year for a general inspection. They provide me an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs I need now and in the future. They can even catch small issues that could lead to big, expensive problems down the road. An Agco general inspection, huh? Oh, one more thing, Doc. Could you tell me where I can find this toilet paper? I've heard wonderful things about it. Here's Agco's number. And the name of another store that may ship some TP straight to your cave. Thanks, Doc. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. You just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alderson, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call. Appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. Kind of waxing about all the old cars and yeah. <laughs> working on them and stuff like that. Yep. And you, know, you brought up a good point, I think, during the break, and that is your hot rodders for years have been putting different well, motors and different things and ever in cars. ever since it was these guys would take the bigger the biggest motor they could find mm-hmm. and put it in the smallest chassis they could find. right and, and so the power to rate ratio and it was may different. have been an oldsmobile motor and a chevrolet sure. or a didn't ford matter. motor and whatever didn't matter back then but you know you got to remember the difference between then and now for the most part there are still some guys like that out there that oh, yeah. do that yeah and i think if that's your hobby and you enjoy doing it god bless you by all means by yeah. all means but more and more what we have nowadays is a guy who maybe wanted one of those cars and never had one, and now he's approaching retirement age. Maybe he has more disposable income than he's had before, and he just wants to buy that car and drive sure. it. Sure. And there's a big, big difference between a guy who built the car from the ground up himself, and he knows the drawbacks, he knows the foibles in there, sure. and a guy who goes buy a car and pays a lot of money for it, and his expectations are going to be much, much higher. In most cases, I find higher than the car is going to be able to deliver. Mm-hmm. Because it's sort of like you say, you could take an uh, old body and put all new stuff in it. But again, that car hasn't been factory engineered. Somebody hadn't crashed it in a wall 10 times to make sure that everything's routed right. They right. haven't simulated thousands and thousands of miles. So no matter how good a job you do, you do an absolutely perfect job, but you run the wiring harness here. Well, you don't realize that it's going to vibrate and it's going to rub a hole in it and the car is going to die. And if you built the car yourself, you kind of sort of know what's going on. You go back, you tear it down, you take this, you tape it up, you move it to a different spot. Sure. And you just take it as a learning experience. But to a guy who paid eighty grand for this car, that is a nightmare to him. Yep. Because, number one, the car died on him, so he's stranded scared to drive the car and all this kind of stuff he has to bring it somewhere and pay somebody down and fix it that is the biggest problem if you can if you have the wherewithal to like you were explaining earlier to to work on this car yourself understand what's going on with it and you enjoy working on it yeah then that's the car for you yeah but unless you have the money to pay someone to do all this for you then like you say and you're going to be you could kind of be disappointed because those old cars although they look cool they don't drive like the new cars do. They require a inordinate amount of maintenance well, and just to keep them running. And not only that, but you actually had to drive those cars. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've got that old Mustang at the house, and every time I get in it, I think, you know, I used to have to drive this car. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, you had to pay attention to what was going on. You had to watch the temp. You had to do, you know, there was several things you had to do while you were driving the car. Mm-hmm. It's not like getting in today's cars. You reach in there, you turn the key, it cranks up, you or drop it here <laughs> or push the button for that fact, and you drive off. Mm-hmm. Those cars weren't like that. And, you know, that it gets disappointing when you, like you're saying, you spend that kind of money on one of those cars. Well, if you're expecting that sort of an experience, then what you need to do is find one of these reissues like the Charger that Chrysler's come out yeah. that makes it look kind of like the old one, or the Camaro from Chevrolet, which looks kind of like the old one. That's about the best you can be able to come up with. Right. Because when people build a car, an old car, or a kit car, or mm-hmm. whatever, again, this is not a factory-engineered, tested, tried-and-true. Right. Companies like General Motors have thousands, if not tens of thousands, of engineers who sit there and make sure every detail of this car is a certain way. Every bolt has been sized to the exact diameter. It's been tested. They've been revised. The torque specifications for the bolts, I mean, the way sure. the wires are routed, the plastic tubing, the actuators, all this stuff is designed to work as an assembly and put together and test it over and over and over and over to make sure that the customer is going to get a pretty good experience when he gets the car. Right. Now, when you go to, say, a kit car or something like that, that even though it was built maybe by a very reputable company, and maybe they've built dozens of these cars, it's just nowhere close to the same level of engineering that goes into it. So you're going to start to see more problems. I remember we had the little red Ford Coupe that came in one time. Beautiful little car built up in North Carolina somewhere, and... The guy had spent a good deal. I want to say he spent about $80,000 for this car. Okay. And brings it to us. And, of course, the first thing we notice is that one of the brake lines had rubbed on the chassis and rubbed a hole through his brake pedal goes to the floor. But all the frame had been painted very, very nice, and that brake fluid ran down and bubbled all the paint <laughs> off the frame. Right. And you know, it wasn't a pleasant experience for him. It was a simple, honest mistake. Just the line was a little too close to the chassis. And we had to go back and repair it, one thing or another, and then something else happened and something else happened. But yeah, it got to where the car just wasn't that much fun, and I think he eventually ended up getting rid of the car. Well, I mean, you spend that kind of money on a vehicle, and then you have to bring it somewhere and have it worked on. It's not fun at all. Right. Every and, time you go to drive it. Right. Every time you go to drive it, something's wrong with it. Let's take a couple of our phone calls. Right. We've got David on the line. Good morning, David. Good morning, guys, and Merry Christmas. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I've got two questions. The first one's kind of a broad one. Now that the bottom line of every one of your invoices is going to say the government share is ten dollars and fifty cents mm-hmm. out of every hundred instead right. of just a mere ten, they want even more. But we're going to fix all the roads in the parish. Uh-huh. And, uh, there'll be no more <laughs> potholes. Everything will be fine, and it will hurt your business because nobody will need repairs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to know what you felt about that. That's funny. You know, I remember somebody in, in New Orleans told me he says if you had two billion dollars. You could buy the Saints, buy the whole franchise. If you had $3 billion, you could buy the Saints and the Pelicans' entire franchise. Or if you had $4 billion, you could fix the roads. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, politicians, they always make promises and stuff, but for some reason, they never seem to deliver on it. I don't really foresee a whole lot coming out of this other than we're going to pay another half-cent sales tax. And, I mean, I, I don't see really much of a... Anything else other than people, you know, every, every repair bill is going to go up a half percent, you know, and, and it's, it's bad enough for a company like mine, but for companies like State Farm and Allstate who buy millions of dollars worth of auto repair every month, yeah. well, your insurance premiums are going to go up because a big part of their premium is claims costs. Well, claims costs just went up a half percent times several million dollars. 
Sure. So they got to make it back somewhere. They're going to make it back by adding it right back into the premium cost. So it's like any tax. Anyway, you know, governments don't produce anything. They don't do anything. They don't manufacture anything. They just take money away from what groups and give it to other groups or give it to the whole or whatever. And I don't know. Maybe it'll be a good thing. I hate to be a pessimist, but I, I don't see anything changing a whole lot. Nor do I. Thank you. <laughs> All right. I, I do have a specific question about my little Mazda pickup four-cylinder okay. 2007. From day one, I would uh, go into it, put the key in the ignition, turn it, and it would start instantly. Mm-hmm. Now that I'm on my third battery, which is about a month old, frequently when I start it, it will have to turn over several times very fast and rapidly because mm-hmm. the battery's hot, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't start instantly, and I wonder if that's something that I should have examined. You know, David, as the car gets older, it's a lot of things change. You know, the the timing chain gets a little bit of slack in it, which throws cam timing off slightly. Ignition timing is related to cam timing, so it's going to be off slightly. Fuel pressure tends to drop off in time. The check valves in the tank tend to not seal as well, so fuel drains back to the tank. Lots of things go on that are going to make the car harder to start. So to answer your question, how annoying is it to you? You know, if it's a big annoyance, then, yes, I would have it looked into. Like I tell people, the idea for me of owning an older car is not necessarily to maintain it in a perfect day it was bought state, but to get reliable transportation to point A to point B at the lowest possible cost. If you go in and start trying to fix every little thing back like it always was, you could probably spend an inordinate amount of money. It's just how much gain are you going to get for the money. So it depends how big of an annoyance is. The first thing I would want to do is put a fuel pressure gauge on it and see if the fuel pressure is draining back because that's the number one cause of that. Alternatively, what you might try is before you start it next time, go out, turn the key to own but not start, wait about three seconds, turn it off, and then repeat that two or three times. And then go to start and see if it starts instantly. If it does, then that leads a lot more evidence to the fact it's probably the fuel pressure is draining down on it. Because each time you cycle ignition like that, you're going to run the pump for a second, which gives it a chance to recharge those lines. And if the fuel's running back to the tank, it makes it hard to start because you have to crank, 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 crank before it can get up there. But if you try that little test and it starts instantly, most likely it's going to be something in the fuel system. What would be likely to cause that in the fuel system? The fuel pump. The The fuel pump. There's a check valve in the fuel pump that keeps it. The injectors are higher than the pump is. The pump's down in the tank. So the weight of the fuel causes it to run back to the tank if that check valve doesn't close off. When they get old, they get gummed up. They just don't seed as well, and the fuel starts draining back to the tank, and that sort of thing can happen. That would be my number one thing. I mean, other things could cause it, but that would be my number one thing to check. Well, it is annoying, but I'm worried, too, about uh, the wear and tear on the starter. Yeah. Well, again, that's a relatively easy test to make, and that most likely would find a problem. But, again, just try, like I said, the uh, cycle ignition a few times. If it starts instantly, then most likely that's it, and you just have to wait a decision. Don't want to change it now. Don't want to wait till it gets worse or don't wait till it goes out or you know what you want to do. I sure do appreciate it. Okay, that will help me a lot, and I will try that. And uh, next time I head your way, I'll count the potholes. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Dave, thanks, man. Kelly online. Good morning, Kelly. Good morning, Lewis. I got a 2014 Ford Expedition. Okay. Got about 70,000 miles on it. I don't drive the car. My wife does. Okay. But she started having trouble where when she car starts fine and everything else, you got to put your foot on the brake for it to shift. Right. Well, it doesn't always want to 
shift for her. Come out know? of park, you mean? Yeah, coming out of park. Mm-hmm. You know, I know they got a, a solenoid and then the switch that connects Correct. to the and several other pieces. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I didn't before I tore into it to you know check that. I didn't know if that was a common problem. Loose connection that you no, The most common thing we see, Kelly, is the brake light switch will go bad, and even if the brake lights are working just fine, the switch can go bad. And because there's, there's multiple sets of contacts inside that switch, one works the brake lights, one works the shift solenoid, another one works the lockup the for cru- the transmission, cruise control. one works cruise control, and right. so on. That is the most common thing we see, and it's a relatively inexpensive part and relatively easy. So if you just want to throw a part at it, you could change that. Now, the shift solenoid itself is way more difficult. And it's just a lot more difficult to deal with, and we don't see much failure on those. Is, now, that, is that a column shift or is it a console shift, floor shift? It's a, con- it's a console shift. Now, yeah, it'd be inside the console. We have seen you know, a soda will get spilled in right. there. Some get spilled the, on the, the top console. of it will get cleaned up, but that stuff gets down in that solenoid and it'll hang that solenoid sometimes. Can't happen. Sure. Uh, we've run across <laughs> that before. Yeah, people uh, have a drink. soft drink or something yeah. set on the console and spills and runs down in there. The body would, control module also runs it that. Does. And you can have faults in your body module that can cause that, too. We've seen that. Or even an ABS code can cause that in, in certain conditions. Yeah, well, that's that's what I was concerned about was uh, whether or not it ran through the body control module. It does. Okay. I mean, well, I would probably I'll, change the switch if you're pretty handy because that's relatively inexpensive. If that doesn't oh, clear yeah. it up, maybe pull the console out and try to clean it. And if that doesn't do it, you're going to have to get it to somebody. Yeah, well, that's, that's what I'll do. Yeah, the filling of drinks, the grandkids ride well, in yeah. quite yeah. a bit. Yeah. So. We and, find I mean, they can spill it all the way in the back seat, but if right. it runs forward on that console, drips down through that little grill where the – shifter moves gets in there you know soda has got sugar in it so it's gonna get sticky and it's gonna stick those little solenoids it doesn't take much to stick one that makes a lot of sense thank Mm -hmm. thank you very much if i can't get it you'll see it okay thanks man thank you Mm -hmm. bye-bye all right we gotta take our second little break we'll be right back with more the automotive hour so lie back on the couch ms bo peep and tell me what's got you stressed uh my sheep keep getting lost I mean, they're in the meadow one minute, and I look down at a text, and then I don't know where to find them. And they keep doing it. Let me level with you, Doc. Sheep are not the smartest animals. <laughs> but you, Denise, you're the exception. Look, Doc, you ever try to have a conversation with a sheep? It's a little one-sided. They just look at you with this blank look on their faces. That and the whole getting lost thing has me at my wit's end. I can't really help you with losing sheep, but I can tell you how to get a little peace of mind. Do like me and take your car into Agco Automotive once a year for a general inspection. They check everything out and perform maintenance on what you need to keep your car running right, and it saves money in the long run. Ooh, with the money I save, I can buy some shock collars to keep those little halfwits in one place. Denise, you know I wouldn't do that to you. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvesan, with Mr. Brian Terry. You got a question or a comment, you give us a call. They try to help you out, and we've got Burrow has been patiently holding. Good morning, Burrow. Good morning. Yes, sir. Yeah, I just wanted to call and ask you, I have no coolant in the reservoir. Okay. okay. What does that indicate? What kind of vehicle are we talking about? 
that's about 2,000 Toyota camping. Okay. You're familiar with it when you see it. Yes, sir. I mean, the most common thing, Burrow, would be a leak somewhere. And, again, it could be as simple as the reservoir itself has cracked. I mean, you got to say it's almost a 20-year-old piece of plastic. The reservoir may be broke. The hose going to the reservoir may have broke or cracked. It's also possible that a radiator's leaking or water pump's leaking or any of these things. It's going to be a leak in the system somewhere. The way those old ones worked, that reservoir was like a siphon, and as the radiator went down, it would draw fluid out of the reservoir. Yeah. And the thing is, if the radiator gets low beyond that point and you refill the reservoir, it's not going to get low anymore because the siphon's been broken. So it's kind of deceiving. I've seen people go in, and they'll fill the reservoir, then they say, well, it's not going low anymore, so now my car must be fixed, and they end up burning the engine up because you know, all the water's out of the radiator. So what you have to do, other than find the leak in, in the interim, is go in with some coolant, water, distilled water mix, refill the radiator when it's cold, just, just take the cap off, fill it completely to the top, and then fill the reservoir. Then when the coolant expands in the radiator, it'll go up, push the air out to the thing, and, and the siphon will be reestablished. So that it'll work until you can get it in and get it repaired, but... It's got to be a leak somewhere in the system. And some of those you can find, you can see. Some of them you can't. Just because it's not dripping on the ground. See, something like a radiator tank can bust. It can spray across that core. And because the core is hot and it's got air flowing through it all the time, it evaporates the coolant before it hits the ground. could be something like a water pump, which is underneath the timing cover, which you can't see it. could be leaking. I mean, any number of things can cause it. you just got to get it in, do a pressure test, find the leak, and repair the leak. And, but in the interim, be sure you fill the radiator back up and the reservoir just so it doesn't overheat yeah. on you. I'll do is, uh, I'll probably bring it in Monday and let you talk to you about making an appointment. Yes, sir. And, and, and I, can top it, I can top it's it off a, for you. It's, Pop. An old, it's a 2000. Yes, sir. I, I remember you and the car now. I just didn't catch your name off the top of my head. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's okay. All righty. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll see you Monday morning sometime. Sounds great. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, we'd love to have you. We were talking a little bit about the older cars and some of the things. And, you know, if you think about the number of services you had on these old cars, it really doesn't exist anymore. Right. Like, for instance, a tune-up. A tune-up basically does not exist anymore. There's no such thing as a tune-up. You can replace the spark plugs at a given number of mileage, but it's not going to address any kind of a problem. It's just something that you do for maintenance. But, like, packing wheel bearings, adjusting yeah, that, brakes, gone. adjusting belts. I mean, on and on and on and on the list goes. These were things that need to be done every two to three months on sure. these old cars. That you really don't have on modern cars. All these services have basically gone away. And when you get one of these old cars, it's important to remember that you have to go in and do those things because if you neglect them, you're going to end up with some breakdowns and so on and so forth as that. Let's go back and catch a few more of these lines. We got Mike on the line. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, guys. How y'all? Doing great. Doing great. I got a problem with my Toyota Tundra. It's an 08. Mm-hmm. And this happens maybe about once a week. It's been doing it for a couple of months now. It just happened this morning. I, I'm in the parking lot. I start the truck up, and every light on the dashboard pertaining to brakes comes on. Okay. Uh, ABS light, the uh, vehicle skid control light, right. uh, the little uh, the parking light, mm-hmm. the emergency brake light comes on everything. Okay. Okay. If I turn the I turn the key off, start it again. Right. And all those lights go off right. except for the ABS light. Okay? Right. ABS light, uh, light stays lit until I drive about 50 yards or 50 feet, actually, mm-hmm. and then it goes out. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty common for those. See, what's happening when you're cycling the ignition, what you're doing is you're moving all the codes from active memory into history. 
when the codes are in active memory, none of the computers can com communicate with each other. That's why all the lights come on. Once you move them to history, then the com other computers can communicate, but it still knows it's a fault. So most likely you have a fault existing in the ABS system. Now, it runs certain tests. It executes certain tests at certain uh, miles per hour. For instance, one test when you cycle ignition, it runs. Another set of tests, it may run at 5 miles an hour. Another set, maybe 15 miles an hour, and so on and so forth as that. Now, let's say you've got an intermittent problem in the ABS. You start the car. It sees the fault. It, it's an active memory. It blocks all the lights, so everything comes on. You cycle ignition. The fault moves to hiss. Now, if that fault does not occur again, then all the other computers start communicating, but that light stays on because it's got a history code in it. When it drives... 3, 5, whatever miles per hour to execute that test, if it happens to pass the test on this cycle, then it's going to turn the light off and move it to history. So what you've got is an intermittent problem in the ABS unit. And what that problem could be could be any one of about 500 different things. So you're going to need to get it in and check it. That even ties into the steering system. you got what they call a yaw sensor, which detects the car moving sideways and applies the brakes. you got the steering angle sensor. Could be that. If you had a front-end alignment and they didn't reset that yaw sensor, it may be out of sync. It may have just gotten off on its own. It could be one of the wheel speed sensors. It could be any number of things. The important thing is there are codes set that are in the history that the technician is going to need to diagnose this problem. Well, you mentioned in the codes that jogged something in my memory. The first time it happened, I happened to be near an auto parts store. Yeah, and I they can't out. find that. They cannot okay. find that. Uh, they, see, they, that's going to be in the that's you. Look, what they're looking at is the power control module. This right. is in the chassis module. They have no access to that. Now, you have to have okay. a Toyota brand sand tool to do that. Okay, so somebody that actually has to know what he's doing is going to have to take a look exactly. at it. Exactly right. And it doesn't have to be a Toyota dealer. I mean, we've got all the Toyota scan tools. We have everything Toyota has. We can do right. that job for you. Any competent independent shop can do that. But you can't get that with an OBD2 code reader. It's a totally different module. It's a whole different thing. It may be a code in there saying break fault or break failure. That's just a generic code saying, hey, I'm not communicating with this module because it's got a fault code in it. But it's not going to okay. give you the information you got to have. All right. Now, is this something that I need to address quickly, or is this something that I want to get a chance? I need not to ever going to get better, but it's not likely going to disable anything. I mean, you could probably wait a week or two. I wouldn't wait months. Okay. All right. Good enough. All right. Thanks, so. All right. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. All right. We're going back to our phone lines. we got Ralph on the line. Good morning, Ralph. Good morning, sir. Yes, sir. I have a 2008 Lincoln Town Car. Okay. It's starting to, when, the air, when the heater is on, I'm getting a little moisture in uh, behind the passenger seat on the back floorboard, like something leaked or something on there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, most likely, Ralph, that's not going to have anything to do with the heater being on. It's just the moisture's there. You may notice it at one time or another. But what you need to do first is to go in there and pull the carpet up, feel the fluid that's there, whatever's there, and see if it's kind of sticky. Because if it's antifreeze or coolant, it's going to be sticky feeling. If it's something like rainwater getting in, it's not going to be sticky. It's going to be just water. So it's not rainwater. It's not every time I cut the heat on, take it. I I, I take the uh, the dry uh, vac and, and and clean it. Uh, mm -hmm. To take all, they take all the damage out of it. Then whenever the heater comes on, especially if it's sitting in the island for a minute with the rear uh, uh, vent on for the air conditioner, mm -hmm. it'll get real soaky wet. Like It's like mm -hmm. something uh, stopped up or something. It's uh, like the 2008 Lincoln Town Car. Yeah, it could be. I've the, seen it before. Yeah, it could be. The, see, the problem is the heater, the water flows through the heater core all the time, all the time. whether the heater's on or not. Well, it's on or off. It's right. always flowing through that core. There's nothing that shuts the water off when you don't have the heater on. The right. air conditioner, when you got the heater on, is not working. The air conditioner could drip, the pan could overflow, and it could run down. 
but again, it's not likely to get in the back seat area of the car. So it's not very likely it's going to be antifreeze or heat, anything from the heater. It may be a coincidence that that's when you notice it. But see, the heater, it's always got water running through it. You know, anytime the car's running, well, it's on, off, it doesn't make a bit of difference. Nothing shuts that cooling off. It's just a blend door that closes and blocks the airflow through the heater core. So, so that would be some, some kind of stoppage or anything like that, you know, like a hose no, stop or something no, like that. No, no, there's, there's no hoses in that area. All of the heater stuff is under the dash. Right. Nothing is in the back seat area. So more likely that's going to be, I mean, I'm not saying it's not the heater core is leaking, but it wouldn't have to be on. You could have it heater off and it would still do the same exact thing. Now, I have seen, like you just mentioned, if the heater core is leaking and it's running down, I have seen them run under the front floorboard right. carpet and end up in the back well, because when that's kind of the lowest point. Yeah, when you accelerate, the water tends to go right. back because you know it's trying to stay still and the car's moving, so it sloshes back and it may end up back there. I guess what I would do first, Ralph, is go in and pull the front carpet and see if there's not some moisture in there, too. See if it's not wet. You may not feel it in the carpet because it may be a plastic pad or something there. And it may be just running under that carpet to get and to the back. the back. But you need to determine where it's coming in from. If it's not wet in the front and it is only wet in the back, more likely it's going to be rain getting in. And the most likely thing, it comes in around the rear taillights. So if you pull the trunk, all lines out of the trunk, you'll see water back in the trunk area, too. Uh, it hasn't showed any of that yet. That's what was freaking. Have, you, have you gone in? Take, have you gone in and take all the mats out of the back? Because that thing's completely covered in with mats. You can't see it. Just looking now, in there. Now you say mats. We're talking yeah, the, about the carpet all the, and all that the stuff. The carpet sides, the plastics. You know, mm-hmm. the the cardboard sides, the bottom. Take all that yeah. stuff out see, and look for anything more. What you're doing there. is you're assuming that it's one thing, so you're not looking at anything else. But it doesn't do it when it's raining, though. It just do it. When I, if I said that leaving the house for an for a minute, though, and all of a sudden if it rains, I mean, it rains, if it's just hot, I'm mm-hmm. saying, like, something might be, you know, might be a hose or something stuck, oh, uh, stuck up or something. Yeah, well, there, there's nothing in the back of the car. So you're going okay. to you're gonna have to determine where, that, yeah. where it's coming, where it's coming from. from. I mean, the, yeah, absolutely. The drain pan in the uh, evaporator could be stopped up. It could be full of uh, heat or fluid from sitting there. But, again, that's going to be in the front of the car. It's okay. under, under the dash. It's not in the back. The only way for it to get to the back would be to run under the front seat. So you're okay. going to have some traces. You just got to get more information. Yes, sir. And then that'll tell you where to start looking. But like I said, I would go in and take the carpet out of the car. Don't just look right. at it. Don't just lift it up. Pull it completely out. Look in there, and I think you're going to feel that floor is going to be all sticky in the front if that's what the case is. Now, okay. most of the time, too, uh, Ralph, just another tip, if that heater core is leaking, generally your windshield is going to fog up a lot. And it's going to no, get a sticky happened. film. So if you're not getting right. that, it's just less likely that it's going to be something like that. You know, okay. odds are it's going to be something else. Okay. All righty. Well, thank you. Okay, man. All right. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number if you want to be part of the automotive hour. And I see this a lot where you get kind of in your mind that one thing is causing a problem. Mm-hmm. And you say, well, I checked everything else. But you really didn't check everything else. You just kind of glanced at it. But, again, if you already made up your mind what it is, right. then you're not looking at and you're looking for evidence to support what you believe to be true. We call it getting off on a tangent. Well, that's right. <laughs> and it happens it quite does. a bit. It even happens to the, some of the best techs. It can happen to a tech. If he yeah. drives a car, hears a certain noise, and in his mind it's a certain thing, he'll overlook evidence to the contrary, and he'll reinforce the evidence. So you got to go back to ground zero, check all the factors, and then figure it out. That's why knowing how the whole system works, is, is a big is advantage. Sort of a big advantage. Yeah. Hey, we've got to take our third quick little break. Be right back with more on the Automotive Hour.
Hello, you must be Glenda de Goodwitch. Uh, relax on the couch and tell me what's stressing you out. Do you know how stressful it is to be good all the time? I don't want to be wicked, but sometimes I just like to not say thank you or pinch a bratty kid or stick my finger in a chocolate. And if I don't like the flavor, put it back in the box. Oh, that would be divine. Unfortunately, Glenda, I can't assist you with your goodness issues, uh, but for peace of mind, schedule an annual general inspection with Agco Automotive. They'll check out your vehicle, perform needed maintenance, and let you know about future repairs. Sad ways, there are no surprises. Well, you definitely want your automotive repair shop to be good and not wicked. A young girl once told me there's no place like home. And I've got to go. Just bill me. I'll be somewhere over the rainbow. Toodaloo! Hmm, that little witch might not be so good after all. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersan, President of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Still got a few minutes. Give us a call, 291-6901. And that's exactly what Mark did. Good morning, Mark. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Uh, I have a 2012 Dodge Charger, mm-hmm. and I was asked, I wanted to know about delayed engagement on, like, a cold morning. Is that a, a normal thing for this? Not, no, not normal, but it's relatively common. What happens, Mark, is that the seals in the transmission start to get hard over time. It's just what rubber seals do. In the cold weather, what happens is they tend to contract a little bit so that the fluid runs past the seal rather than applying the clutches. Now, as soon as a hot fluid starts running past, it softens those seals up, and they'll make, and it may not do it the rest of the day. It now, yeah. the fix is probably worse than the problem because the fix is tear transmission down, change the seals. But yeah. what you can do if you just give it some time. In other words, in the morning, instead of just slamming it in gear like you always were able to do and take off, or worse, you had to sit there and race the motor up because it's slipping, you'll tear transmission up no time flat. If you give it a second or two, just let it do its thing, you may be able yeah. to drive it for years with that problem. And it probably is not going to notice it much in the hot weather. The hot weather, the case is hot, the fluid's warm. You know, it, it just, it's not as big it of an never issue. never did. It's going to be a cold yeah. weather issue. Mm-hmm. Now, if it hasn't been serviced recently, would you make it? Okay, I'll say you may consider resurfacing. Another thing is make sure that the fluid level is not just a little bit low. Because if the fluid level is just a hair low, maybe a slight leak somewhere, what happens the same thing, you don't have enough fluid to cover the screen completely and it sucks a little bit of air in the morning as soon as the fluid heats up it expands and covers that up and so therefore you, it goes away and again that'll be a cold weather thing so you yeah. know one thing you could do to just to try that is just take about an extra half a quart of fluid even if it shows full on a dipstick just mm-hmm. dump an extra half a quart in there can't hurt anything and if the problem goes away then that's what it is well, i don't just, think there's a dip, dipstick on this one doesn't okay well you can have a fill plug somewhere just go in and add about an extra half to it. I mean, okay. you, an extra half won't hurt anything one way or the other. Okay. So, and if that clears it up, then it's probably low. If it doesn't have a dipstick, it's possible that it didn't get completely filled up, particularly if it was serviced during the summer when the fluid was really, really hot anyway. Okay. Sometimes it's easy because it might show full when it's hot. There's a temperature chart you're supposed to use with it. And uh, if it didn't get completely filled, or again, if it's got a slight leak, I mean, if you lose just a quarter of a quarter of fluid, it could affect that in cold, cold weather. Because when it's cold, the fluid contracts and it goes down, and it doesn't take well, much. Well, and they've made it difficult for me to even 
observe that. You it know, is. You can't it is. Get right. to it. You know, the car is like four inches off the ground. Right. Right. <laughs> right. It is. You may, you may have to bring it into the shop and just let us check it well, for you. And I mean, we yeah, we can professionally test and see if it's full or not. If it's a little low, we can tell you where it's leaking. But not. Well, I, yeah, I'm coming up due on it, and I've had it done twice already. Right. Hundred thousand miles, both by y'all, and I mean, it's that five speed. You know, that, right. Uh, Mercedes one or whatever. It's been a good unit, but it is doing some weird slippage. Like, and the other thing I was going to lead into that was, is, uh, you know, as it accelerates, it feels like once it gets into second, there's like a dead zone there, and then the torque starts to kind of set in as it rises. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it, again, it feels would, like it's varying on. This, I would make know? sure you don't have a little small leak yeah. somewhere because some leaks are very hard to find because they only leak when the car's running. They don't leak sitting still. They don't leak at night. They don't like in a pressure yeah. line. And when mm-hmm. running and you're going 40 miles an hour, the wind in the car is blowing it back. You know, it's not going to drip anywhere. So you may not see a drip anywhere. It doesn't take much of a leak to get a little bit low, and it'll start doing all those weird kind of things. Yeah. Okay, and uh, in the uh, – every time I get on here, I can't remember what the hell is. Yeah, I, I'm just about out of time. <laughs> yeah. I know. Make, okay, make it real quick. They, uh, yeah, well, it's going to be – well, the battery at idle thing. Like, how can – I can check with, like, an amp clamp to see if it's really discharging at idle because it kind of seems crazy to me that you would design a car that would do that. Some cars you do. You know what I mean? Yeah, some cars do. The battery actually subsidizes the alternator at idle, and then when you go down the road, they make up. It's just the, the amp demand is so high on these cars that the alternator just can't keep up at low speed. And if yeah. they put a big enough alternator that could, they wouldn't have room to put it under the car. And number two, it would probably burn up in the hot summer because it's getting so hot. So they well, put they an alternator did. that's big enough. Yeah, they put an alternator that's big enough. But, again, yeah. the, the battery many times subsidizes the alternator at an idle. It does. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, very good. Thank you so much, guys. I know you got to run, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right. Thanks, Mark. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. All right, I see we're getting pretty close time. We're going to start winding on up, getting ready to get on out here. Still got a few minutes. Got to Not many. head that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as always, we appreciate everybody listening to us this morning and every Saturday morning. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And tell your friends and go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, whichever that might be. Well, there are basically dozens, if not yeah. hundreds of them. You know, Stitcher is one of the big ones, and you got Podbean and Podcasts, and I don't want to leave anybody out, but I can't remember I can't them remember all. Them all. Yeah. Whichever means you use to listen to our show, iTunes is another big one. There should always be a place where you can leave a written review. Most of the time, there is a place for a written review. And by filling this out for us, it kind of moves us up to the top of the list. Therefore, when somebody types in auto repair, our show comes up and we get more people listening. That's right. What happens, like with any review system, they look at the number the number of years you've been on the air, how many consistent shows you have, right. and they look at the rankings. If you have 150, 200, 300 five-star rankings, you move up so that when people type in a generic term, like auto repair, auto repair show, mm-hmm. not the, if, you, if you punch the name of the show, just like anything else, it's going right. to come up. Pop but up. if you punch in a generic term, those with the highest rankings will come up close to the top of the list. And clearly, people are going to look at the ones close to the top of the list. That's the ones they're going to click on. Sure. So the more people click on us, they do measure that, and the higher you get in your ranking. So it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy after a while. That's why we're always harking that we want good rankings. Sure. So anyway, that, and we appreciate reading them. We do. Makes us know we're doing a good job. A preceding was our opinion based on experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.